Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. As I mentioned last week, uh, I am kicking off a brand new series this morning, uh, which has been the last couple of years, I think, at least for sure two of the last three years. I have um, I've done a book series in the summer, and so we are going to be going through uh, the book of Hebrews. We're going to do a study of the book of Hebrews this summer, and I'm excited about that. So uh, the next several weeks, I'll be going systematically through the book. Uh, but today, I want to start by laying the foundation for this series, give you a little history, uh, uh, what, we, what we know, what we don't know, to lay the foundation, and then we'll start going through it uh, chapter by chapter. And so, uh, you know, and, and if you read, if you, if you read the Bible, if you've read through the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, you may notice when you read through these books and some of these stories, you may read something like, man, he, this, the same book talked about this already. It's like they're repeating themselves. The reason why that is, is because the Hebrew, the Jewish style of writing was that they would give you an overview of a story and then they would go back and then they would fill in the details of the story. So in essence, that's kind of what I'm doing for this series. I'm going to give you an overview. It's actually, I'm calling this sermon, uh, the highlights of Hebrews. We're going to look at the first four verses. I'm going to give you the highlights and then we'll continue on chapter by chapter as we go through. Let's ask the Lord to help us today, to help me. Father, I thank you. What an honor and a privilege, Lord. Again, Lord, to be saved, to be saved in this church to be discipled and fathered here and that now I get to Lord God uh, uh, present your word uh, to my brothers and sisters today that are here those that are LPCC so thankful for them father help me Holy Spirit that as I preach your word it would be clear it'd be accurate uh, I can't do this on my own nor do I want to help us all Holy Spirit that we would receive and apply your word come on why don't you ask ask him ask him to help help me Lord why don't you ask him right now I tell him that help me Lord Help me to receive your word. Help me to apply it, Lord God, in every aspect of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's first talk about who wrote the book of Hebrews. Well, actually, unlike many other letters, because this is a letter, an epistle of the New Testament, Hebrews does not begin by identifying the author. Many scholars today believe that's because it was originally written as a sermon, and then it became a letter that was sent out. Some in the early church ascribed the book to the Apostle Paul, that he might have wrote it. But many scholars today believe that the writing style of Hebrews is so different from the rest of Paul's letters that it's probably unlikely that he's the one that wrote it. Uh, one early church father attributed uh, the book to Barnabas, who was Paul's missionary companion in the book of Acts. But again, historical evidence uh, is lacking uh, in, in that theory as well. Martin Luther suggested that Apollos may have been the author, uh, probably because the book of Acts it describes um, Apollos as an educated man uh, with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures who was elegant in public debate. Other candidates have included Luke, Silas, Priscilla, but there is a lack of compelling historical evidence for any of these individuals. So the conclusion, as one early church father wrote, who is it that wrote this epistle? God only knows. So that's really the truth. We don't really know. We don't know who wrote it. We know it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But although we cannot identify the author of Hebrews, we, uh, uh, with certainty, we, as we study this book, it reveals a lot about who this person was. First, the way that the Greeks written, the way that there was crafted forms of expression does show it was a highly education, educated person. Secondly, the person who wrote e Hebrews must have been a dynamic preacher who was trained in interpretation and exposition, and who had memorized large portions of the Old Testament. And thirdly and most importantly, the author was deeply was a deeply concerned Christian leader who addressed his readers urgently and with passion. See, listen, Hebrews is simply not just a theological epistle, but a pastoral appeal to the hearts and minds of those who were challenged 
in their Christian commitment. And I'll show you why there in a minute. So we don't know who exactly who it was, but we know what kind of person who wrote this. So who was he writing to? Well, obviously, the title points to, we know, we, it's obvious, to the Hebrews, right? To the Jewish people. And before I go any further, the title also points to something else that may have been a debate in homes. Husbands and wives, every morning, some of you may have wondered, who should brew the coffee in the morning? Well, Hebrews, right? There it goes, men. It shows that it's you, okay? All right. I had to get that cheesy joke out of my system. My wife was on the first row in the first service. It's just like, oh, my God. I told her I was going to do it, but all right. I'm done with that, okay? The writer uh, would use the Old Testament and his theological concepts would have been familiar to those in, in the synagogues. Again, this is Jewish Christian congregation that he was writing to. And based on the scripture I'm about to just read, uh, we have reason to believe that this letter was addressed to a Christian congregation or maybe a group of house churches in Italy, probably the city of Rome. Which, by the way, and don't, this is important, Rome at the time was the epicenter of persecution for, the, for Christians under Emperor Nero. So Hebrews 13, 24 gives us an idea who he's writing to, shows us, greet all your leaders and all the believers there. The believers from Italy send you their greetings. So most likely this refers to people who were from Italy, whose capital was Rome, and who sent greetings to their friends back to Rome uh, from wherever this letter was written. So that's a little backdrop on who wrote it, who was written to. And so now we're going to read the first four verses. We're going to look at these first four, four verses throughout the scripture. But again, I'm going to be looking at an overview of this book with many different verses as well. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 4 says, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Come on, that's some great stuff right there. When he has cleansed us, from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. Come on, just as we were glorifying the name, right? He's worthy of the honor of his name, right? So I want to begin today with this series by giving you five characteristics of the epistle to the Hebrews. Number one, this is a book of evaluation. It's a book of evaluation. Hebrews 1.4. This shows that the Son, being Jesus, is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. The word greater here is used 13 times in this book as the writer shows the superiority of Jesus Christ and his salvation over the Hebrew system of religion. Remember, he's writing to newly saved Jewish Christians, right? Christ is greater than the angels. He brought a greater hope because he is the mediator of a greater covenant, which is, was established by greater promises. How many of y'all thankful for all of those, right? Another word that is repeated in this book is perfect. In the original Greek, it's used thir uh, 14 times. And listen, this word perfect means to be in perfect standing before God. So when the Bible talks about us being perfect, it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, right? How many of you know, get my wife and two of my girls sitting on the front row, and I said, they can tell you I'm far from perfect. But the Greek word means to be in perfect standing with God through Jesus Christ. 
Just as the word tells us that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it means we're in right standing. We're in perfect standing with him because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. This perfection could never be accomplished by the Levitical priesthood or the law, nor could the blood of an animal sacrifice achieve this. Jesus Christ produced perfection from his one offering of sin. Look at Hebrews 10, 14 now. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. You see that? He made us perfect, right? We're not, not perfect in what we do. We're in perfect standing. Those who are being made holy. That's what we call sanctification. We're being made holy every day. We're being sanctified every day until we get to heaven when we're going to be glorified. Amen? So the writer is con contrasting the Old Testament system of the law with New Testament ministry of grace. He's making it clear, again, that the Jewish religious system that they knew was temporary and that it would bring, it would, could never bring an eternal greater things that are found in Jesus. Eternal, by the way, is the third important word in this message of Hebrews as we study this book. Hebrews 5, 9 says, In this way God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who believe. Man, how many of y'all are thankful that, that, that he secured an eternal salvation for us? Amen? Not only is Christ the author of our eternal salvation, but through his death he obtained eternal redemption, and he shares with believers the promise of an eternal inheritance. So when you combine these three words, you discover that Jesus Christ and the Christian life he gives us is greater because these blessings are eternal and give us a greater and perfect standing with God. So why is the writer of Hebrews uh, asking uh, the church to evaluate their, their, their faith and what Jesus did for them? Because they were going through difficult times. Remember, I, I, I said that for a reason. It was the epicenter in Rome there that they were writing to of persecution. If you read history, you've probably heard M, uh, Nero was throwing Christians to the lions in the Colosseum, which partial, I know Pastor Rob has been there, right? Partial, you can still see for entertainment because they were followers of Christ. He was throwing them to the lions to get martyred, tortured, ripped apart for entertainment. Like we watch baseball and football. They were watching Christians being torn apart by ravenous beasts. Could you imagine that? So that's why he's saying, hey, you need to evaluate what your faith is in. Is it in the old religious, you know, uh, system or is it in Christ alone? They were actually tempted to go back to that. See, it would be easy for them to escape persecution as Jewish believers and go back under the Mosaic system that they knew before. See, the thing about these believers he was writing to is that they were at a standstill spiritually and actually in danger of going backward. We'll read later, and we know a very familiar scripture in Hebrews 10.25 that they had forsaken the regular assembly of worship, and they weren't making spiritual progress. Here's the application for us in all of this. In the Christian life and in every area of life, you're either going forward or you're going backward. There's no standstill. You can't be in neutral with serving the Lord. You can't, you can't be, be on cruise control. I heard somebody say when you're on cruise control is how you lose control. Isn't that right? Whenever you've ever been driving and it's pouring out rain and you're on cruise control, I just feel better when my foot's on that pedal and next to the brake, right? And it's true. And we just start cruising and, and we, are we having a neutral? We actually are not in neutral. We're going backwards. So my challenge to you, my evaluation, or I'm asking you to evaluate is where are you at in your walk with the Lord? Are you moving forward? 
or are you going backwards? You might have walked in here today and said, man, I'm just kind of like, you know, I just feel like I'm, I'm in neutral. I'm not, you know, not doing bad, but I'm not doing good. You're either growing or you're dying. And that's actually in every area in your life, in, in, in your health, in your job, whatever. You're either increasing or you're going backwards. There's no middle ground. So this is a book of evaluation. But number two, it's also a book of exhortation. Hebrews 13, the ESV says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. The writer calls this letter the word of exhortation. The Greek word translated exhortation simply means encouragement. Hebrews 3.13 commands us to encourage each other daily. We know there's a strong encouragement in Jesus Christ through his word and by his spirit. Now, I say this all the time. Listen to me, and I'll say it again. Like Paul says, I'll stir you up by way of reminder. The word encouragement doesn't just mean, hey, you're doing a good job. Now, we need that, right? I like to be told that I'm doing a good job and encouraged when I'm feeling low. But encouragement could be, I want to encourage you to stop sinning. Okay, y'all didn't hear me. I want to encourage y'all to stop sinning, encourage you to stop. I'm just in general. I'm not talking, I'm not pointing out anybody, by the way. Maybe that's why I didn't get an amen. Somebody's like, who he's talking to in here? In general, I want to encourage you to live a holy life. I want to encourage you, or even it goes on, an encouragement like a lot of people, uh, and I'll show you in a minute, it almost could be a strong warning as well. Warning not to go backwards. Warning not to, not to, to backslide, not to get involved in ungodliness or whatever the case may be. Look, Hebrews opens with an important declaration. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, long ago God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. And then towards the end of the book, the writer says this, Hebrews 12, 25, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who's speaking. He wasn't saying some people just can't hear the preacher. No, it says, be careful that you don't refuse to listen. See, that's the encouragement. Don't refuse to listen to the word of God. When I'm preaching, when Pastor Ty's preaching, when you're reading every day, whatever the case may be, a theme of Hebrews seems to be God has spoken, we have his word, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do with the word that's been spoken to us through his son, by the way? Hebrews, again, encourages us to trust God and obey his word. And throughout the book of Hebrews, there are five strong encouragements that could almost be more like warnings about obeying God's word. We're going to look at these in more details, but let me just give them to you quickly. Chapter 2, there's a warning about drifting from the word. Chapter 3, a warning about doubting the word. Chapters 5 and 6, a warning about dullness toward the word. Chapter 10, a warning against despising the word. And then chapter 12, a warning against defying the word. That's straight up rebellion. And again, throughout this series, we're going to look at all of those. See, the epistle to the Hebrews is a book of evaluation, proving that Jesus Christ is better than any of the law that Moses had to offer or any in our common day religious system that we may have been a part of. It's also a book of exhortation, encouraging us to hear the word of God so we don't progress spiritually and experience the discipline of the Lord. Come on, parents. How many parents I got out there? If you're, if you parented for any amount of time, boundaries and consequences, if your children don't obey, you tell them to do something, there can be discipline, right? There can be a consequence. God is a perfect father, and the Bible tells us that he disciplined those he loves. Okay, so we'll get into that later, amen? Number three, it's also a book of examination. This letter was written to the believers, again, in a strategic time in history. The temple, the Jewish temple was still standing. The sacrifices were still being offered in those temples. But in a few years, both the city and the temple would be destroyed. 
The Jewish nation would be scattered, and this would include the Jewish believers in Jesus Christ as well. As well, In other words, it's almost like God was shaking things up. Look at Hebrews 12, 26 through 29. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Now. So he's saying like currently when he wrote this, New Testament church, where we are today even. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him and with holy fear and awe. As we, the song we sang earlier, for our God is a consuming or devouring fire. Hey, he wants us, his people, to have our feet on a solid foundation of faith, a solid foundation on the word. He did not and does not want us to trust in things that will vanish. See, I believe it's very similar today. In the church. Have you noticed when you look around, everything's getting shaken around us? Life as we know it, the way we've done life, the way we've done work, school, uh, I mean, just the craziness of what's going on, you know, it, 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 things are being shaken all around us. And some people, even in the church, are discovering that they've been de- depending on the scaffolding of their faith and not the solid foundation of the rock of Jesus. See, some people have even got caught up in this world system and their confidence is not in the Lord, but in money, buildings, programs, careers, politicians, and other passing things. And I'm reminded, and I saw this, we saw it, you've seen it too. 2020 showed us this, even with believers. Whenever all the churches shut down, to this day, there's still people that have never started coming back to church, either this church or any church, or got reconnected at all. What happened? Their scaffolding collapsed. They had some form of faith. They were serving the Lord. And I don't know, I can't tell you everybody, but that tells me, and there's a percentage, I forgot, Barna did a, a survey on it that I think it was, I hate to say it, but it was, forgot what percentage they say aren't coming back to church, aren't getting connected. Yeah, they watch online and stuff. And, and I mean, that, that part of it is great. When we talk about discipleship, you really can't get discipled like you're supposed to in fathered online. You can watch. I'm glad. I'm thankful we have it. We can be with our brothers and sisters in LBCC today. And first service, we stream live to whoever's watching all over the world. That's great. But you know what? Whenever people just checked out, it's because they had, they had a scaffold faith, not a solid faith. I believe in part, that's a big part of it. See, as God continues to shake society, the scaffolding will fall away. And God's people must discover that we, our only hope, only confidence must be in the Word of God in our relationship with Jesus. Period. Hebrews 39, New King James says, Do not be carried away by various strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace. I want to break down that word established. It's actually used in one form or another. Eight times in the book of Hebrews, and it means to be solidly grounded, to stand firm on your feet. It carries the idea of strength, reliability, confirmation, and permanence. See, a key message of the book of Hebrews is you can be secure while everything around you is falling apart. And if you haven't noticed, it looks like to me everything around us is falling apart. Are you watching the same news that I am? I barely watch it anymore. I'm sorry. I just, I don't, I don't want to be depressed. Right? I'm trying to be encouraged. Amen? Like out of 98%, I see one thing. I'm like, oh, okay, good. There is one thing, good thing y'all going to report on. Right? And so, okay, let me get off of that. 
right? But I'm just saying we see what's going on in our society. But listen, as I mentioned earlier, if you're rooted, this is an examination. Remember, it's a book of examination. Here's the application. Where is your faith in? What is your faith in right now? What are you putting your faith in, right? The book of Hebrews, a book of examination, helps you to discover that. Who or what you're putting your faith in. As I mentioned earlier, and I wasn't even planning on, the Lord led me to that Mark 10 scripture. You see, when things start shaking, some people are overwhelmed with fear. Some people are in awe of Jesus still. Thank you, Lord, for that. Right? It shows you. If our eyes are locked on to him, we can still be in awe even whenever the world is crazy. If you're overwhelmed with fear, maybe you're putting your hope and your trust in the wrong person or the wrong thing. By the way, you know everybody has faith? Did you know that? Every one of y'all right now has faith. No matter where you are. And everybody and everywhere right now, I can, I can prove it to you. You had faith in that chair you're sitting in right now. Didn't you? You had faith that when you sat, you didn't look back and like, did you check the screws or the legs or anything? No. You had faith that that chair was going to hold you up and still holding you up, right? So subconsciously, we put our faith in a lot of things. It could be, you know, things like a chair or a car or watching online. A lot of us have faith in the Internet, and then we get mad when it don't work. Come on, somebody. Okay, I'm confessing my sin now, right? We're so used to things like that, and, and, and we're thinking everything. But seriously, you're going to put your faith and trust in something. Hebrews is a book of examination that we examine ourselves. We're putting our faith and trust in Christ alone. Amen. Number four, it's also a book of expectation. Now, come on, this is encouraging. I know I'm thinking about Pastor Kelly. I know this is, this is his, his lane. This all should fire us all up, but he always gets fired up about the future. Amen. Another focus in the book of, uh, uh, is on the future. The writer's informing us and he's speaking not about next week, but the world to come. Now it could be next week if that sky cracks open, right? But it's a time when believers will live and reign with Christ. Hebrews 2.5 in the Amplified says, It was not to angels that God subjected the inhabited world of the future when Christ reigns, about which we're speaking. You see, later on in this series, we'll learn about the great patriarchs and their faith in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. But let's read right now about how they were looking forward to this future home. Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. And again, we'll, we'll go through that. I just want to show you. It's a book of expectation. He's trying to stir us up about, about our heavenly home. Look at Hebrews 11, 13 and 16. All these people died still believing. He had listed all of them. We're going we're gonna to read about all of them. All these people still died, died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had looked for the, longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Man, it's great. I'm just thinking even, I live right here in Scott. It's great to see cities grow and all that, but ain't nothing like the city God's preparing for us. Amen? It don't matter how much growth we get in our local cities, and it's not going to compare to our heavenly homeland he's preparing. So like these great men and women of faith, we should be foreigners and nomads on this earth as well. One reason why God is shaking everything around his church is because he wants us to release these things of the world and stop depending on them. He wants us to center our attention on the world to come, not just this world. The great martyr missionary Jim Elliott said this, He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
Isn't that a great quote? Let me say that again. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep and to gain what he cannot lose. Amen. It's so good, those of you that gave to foreign missions and, 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 and church planning, right? We can't keep any of that money anyway, right? Might as well sow it into the kingdom, right? And you know what? We can't lose eternity. If you're saved, you're born again. We'll get there in a minute. That's something we'll never lose. Amen. Those rewards, those crowns. Amen. That we're going to be given. They're going to be with us for all eternity. Right. So see, these great men and women of faith we read about in the Bible lived in the future tense. And because of that, they were able to overcome temptations of the world and the flesh. We'll read about all of that in Hebrews 11. And this same outlook is what carried our Lord Jesus through the agony of the cross. Look at Hebrews 12 too. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. See, Jesus was looking to the future when he was going through the cross. And you know what that joy that set before him is? It's you and I. It's that eternity. Yes, relationship with, with us here, but that eternity we're going to spend with him. He was looking to the future. He was living in future tense. And that's why even as it used, uh, the, the um, Hebrews uses the analogy of a country or literally the country they came from. I want to encourage you again, as Pastor Todd said in the first service, hey, I've been to third world countries. I love America. It's good to be back in America. But don't put all your stock in America. Don't put all your stock in what we see and, and, and the things we do. Yes, I'm about voting and all of that being involved. I was blessed to be able to be a part of the National Day of Prayer with our local leaders. I was assigned to pray for federal and state leaders, and we need to do that. We're commanded to do that in First Timothy and Romans. We're supposed to do that. But listen, don't get so involved and put all your time, money, effort, and energy in America and not be focused on our heavenly home. We still got to live here, still got to work here. We got to pray. We got to vote. We got to do those things. I'm not saying not to be involved, but don't put all your eggs in that basket. Because guess what? That basket's going to burn up. And America included. Amen? So I'm just trying to encourage you. Again, I love our country, but this ain't our permanent home, church. This is not what we decide. We're nomads too. We're foreigners here. We're just passing through. Just remember that. Amen? Another emphasis of Hebrews is don't live for what the world will promise you today, but live for what God has promised you in the future. Dr. A.W. Tozer said, every man must choose his world. What world are you going to focus on? We got to live in this world. You got to go to work tomorrow. We got to do all those things. But what world are you really living for? I love that. I want to live in the future tense. See, and this is the issue. Because we're in spiritual warfare, because we've all, you know, none of us are perfect. So many believers live in their past. They're living in past tense. They're looking to the past, what they've done, what they didn't do, what they regret, instead of looking what Jesus did and how it empowers us in the present so we can be living for the future. Amen? So which world will you choose? And lastly, the fifth and final thing, the book of Hebrews is a book of exaltation. A book of exaltation. The book of Hebrews exalts the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first three verses sets the high and holy theme which is maintained throughout the entire book of Hebrews. The immediate purpose is to prove that Jesus Christ is superior over the prophets or to the prophets and who would hell. You've got to remember these prophets were held in high esteem. These were the men of God of the day. And the writer of Hebrews comes out the gate and says Jesus is superior over all of them. Let's read those three verses as we wrap it up again. Let's, start, let's finish at the beginning. Hebrews 1, 1 and 3. Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways 
to our ancestors through the prophets. This was God speaking. God was using the prophets back then. But now, everybody say now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance, and through the son he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. I don't know why, I love that verse. It's so powerful. He sustains it by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God. Let's break that down before we go today. In his being, Christ is superior to the prophets. To begin with, he's the very son of God, not merely a man called God. The author makes it clear that Jesus Christ is God, for this description could never be applied to a mortal man. And that's why they were trying to kill him and stone him and they did it eventually but they always they thought he was just a mortal man using the title son of god or you know the great i am and all these things they didn't realize that he was and is god the radiates god's own glory that term refers to the shekinah glory of god that dwelt in the the tabernacle in the temple at the time see the word shekinah is a transliteration of the hebrew word that means to dwell so see christ to the father is what the rays are to the son and I love that. I, I, you know, y'all know me. I love the outdoors. And I, so many times, either I've been hunting or fishing, I'll, I'll see the sunrise or sunset. And I love it. Every time I see the rays of the sun coming through the clouds, coming up, it reminds me of God's glory. And that's a great picture. Jesus himself manifests himself as the very rays of God's glory walking on this earth. Are y'all following me, church? That's what the Bible's saying here. It's his radiance of God's Glory. He radiates God's glory. It's impossible to separate, just as it's impossible to separate rays from the sun, it's impossible to separate Christ's glory from the nature of God. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say that he expresses the very character of God. This carries the idea of the exact imprint. Our English word character comes from the Greek word translated image. Literally, Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the very substance of God. Come on, he's making it clear in these first few verses who Jesus is. If there's any doubt, here is the, the glorified, magnified Lord Jesus. In his work, Jesus is also superior to the prophets. To begin with, he's the creator of the universe, because the Bible says through the Son, he created the universe. Not only did Christ create all things, it says he sustains all things. Now, some translation says he upholds, New King James, New American Standard. He upholds all things, or sustain doesn't just uh, mean he keeps it going. What it literally means is he's holding and carrying the universe from one place to another. Come on, somebody. He ain't just keeping this thing rolling. He's carrying the whole universe from one place to another. So what is Hebrew saying? He is the God of creation and the God of providence who guides the universe to its divinely ordained destiny. That's who Jesus is. Come on, I'm preaching better than y'all, y'all saying amen here. Jesus Christ also has a ministry as priest, and this reveals his greatness. By himself, he has cleansed us from our sins, and this aspect of his ministry is going to be ex explained in detail in Hebrews chapter 7 through 10. Finally, we know Jesus Christ reigns as our king. He sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand of the majestic, you know, the right hand of the majestic God. By the way, you know how God created the earth six days and he rested on the seventh? And I'm going to show you in Scripture in a minute. When it says that Jesus sat down at God's right hand, that indicated that his work was completed. Remember on the cross he said, it is finished. 
Our redemption was paid for and finished, but once he rose from the grave, ascended and sat at the right hand of the Father, signified his completed work here on the earth. Amen? This proves also that he is equal with God the Father because no mere created being would ever get to sit on God's right hand. So creator, prophet, priest, king, Jesus Christ is superior to all the prophets and servants of God who have ever appeared on the sacred pages of Scripture. As I close it up here, look what the Father said during the transfiguration about Jesus in Matthew 17, 4 and 5. Peter blurted out, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. Because Peter, I'm sorry, Moses and Elijah had appeared with Jesus as he was transfigured. If you want, I'll make you three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, I I like that, I kind of think God interrupted him. Even as he spoke, a bright cloud came over them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. So here we got these three Jewish believers. And uh, Moses and Elijah appears with Jesus, and they want to honor all three of them. And God the Father says, here's my son, listen to him. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. God said it was all pointing to Jesus. Here's my son, listen to him. It shows Christ has appeared. Remember, these guys were all pointing to him anyway. Let's keep reading in Matthew 17. I love this after God speaks, interrupts uh, Peter, and, and they fall face down. Look what it says in Matthew 17, 6 and 8. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over, touched them, and said, get up. Don't be afraid. I love this, y'all. When they looked, they saw only Jesus. When they looked, they saw only Jesus. What am I saying? Well, as we study Hebrews together, our purpose is not to just get into doctrinal details. That is part of it. You need to know sound biblical doctrine. We have always been a solid word church from Brother Francis to Pastor Todd. Again, I've been fathered here. You do need to know sound doctrine. But that's not the end result of this. As I just pointed to in Matthew 17, our purpose is to hear God speak through his word as, as Hebrews begins and ends with, to obey his word, and so we can see and experience Jesus in our lives and glorify him in a greater way. Amen? Our one purpose is to glorify God. And the book of Hebrews is showing us who Christ is and what he's done for us. Amen? So one more verse and then we'll pray. Hebrews 1.3. I read this earlier, but I want to read it and amplify it to finish up. When he himself and no other, I love it, it makes it clear, himself and no other, had by offering himself on the cross as a sacrifice for sin, he accomplished purification from sins, and establish our freedom from guilt. He sat down, watch, here it is, revealing his completed work. You remember I mentioned that earlier? He sat down revealing his work was complete at the right hand of the majestic or the majesty on high, revealing his divine authority. As we close today, have you been cleansed of your sins? Have you been purified? Do you sit in here today and you feel guilty because of the lifestyle you've been leading? Do you know that you've been made right with God? You remember we talked about being being in perfect standing? Even for some of you that are saved, you may still be like, man, perfect standing? Yes, it's perfect because it's nothing about us. It's not what we did. Jesus put us in right, perfect standing with himself. I've been talking about, you know, not th- th- these Hebrews were encouraged. They were, they were tempted to go back into their old religious ways of being right with God. Many of us, especially growing up in South Louisiana, 
I know you've left certain churches and your family have given you a hard time when you became born again and started going to another church. Isn't that right? Some of you can testify to that, right? And some of you, it may be easier to just do that. Or, look, even in a non-denominational church, we can be religious. That's the truth. Have you been trying to get right with God through a religious system or by putting your faith in Jesus? Him and Him alone, the Bible says, offered Himself on the cross to cleanse us and purify our sins. We've been talking about the eternal inheritance, the eternal salvation. That word eternal is used many times. Where will you spend your eternity? Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Even if you're watching there at LPCC. You know, in just the last two weeks, or, yeah, two to three weeks, I've been a part of three different funeral services. Two of them, you know, and and very tough services. With confidence, I was able to declare, and many others did, that this brother and sister were were in glory with the Lord. But I was actually officiating a service just a week ago, Monday, and to look across to the family and not knowing, I mean, I'm not the judge, but from what I've seen and heard, pretty sure this person's maybe not in, in, in eternity or not, you know, we don't know. But without that certainty, it's so hard for me. It's, it's, it, it, it breaks my heart. And I never want to leave a service, you know, whether you've heard me or not, and to, to, to give you the opportunity to get right with God, to be born again, to be saved. So when that day comes, we might only have a week left on this planet. All of us, or maybe one of us. Both of, uh, two of these were, were sudden and, and, and tragic deaths. You never know when your day is. If you say, Brandon, I don't know if I've been cleansed. I don't know if, 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 if I died today where I would spend eternity. But I want to be sure today. I want to receive that internal, eternal inheritance. And I want to put my faith in Christ today. If that's you, say, man, I'm not sure I'm right with God. But I want, to, I want to get born again today. I want to surrender my life to Christ. That's you. Nobody look around. Just lift up your hand. Say, Brandon, that's me. That's me. Over here, sir, I see your hand. Anybody else? Ma'am, right here. Hands going up in the middle. Amen. Anybody else? Even if you watch on LPCC, come on, be bold. Lift your hand up. I can't see it, but God can. Chat may be in there. She may be able to see you. Ladies over here, your hands going up. Come on, hands going up all over the building right now. Thank you, Father. Those of you that raised your hands, the Bible says if you believe in your heart, that word believe means to trust Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and God. Raise him from the dead. You shall be saved. Can we pray together, even as a church? Let's pray this prayer together in faith. It ain't the prayer. It's the faith and the surrender that Jesus comes in and he saves you on that note. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for making a way that I can be in relationship with you and spend eternity with you. Lord, I know that I've sinned, and I repent of my sin. I turn to you today. I make you my Lord and Savior. Now give me the grace and the strength to live for you and glorify you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Can we rejoice with these today? Can we celebrate with them? place your, your, your faith and your trust in Christ for the first time, there's a connection card in the, in the chair in front of you. Fill out that card. Bring it to the info center. We have a Bible we want to give you. I want to encourage you to jump into next steps. Get into a life group. We talked about discipleship earlier, being father and mother. Y'all, this is just the beginning. 
The, the, the prayer is just the beginning. Your confession of faith is just the beginning. Now you have to walk it out. But that's what the local church is here for, to help you walk it out. If you're at LPCC, get in touch with Chap. She'll give you a Bible. And, and they have ministers that go in there we, to, to help you and to disciple you. We'd love to have you uh, here uh, that day when you get out as well. Come on, can you stand with me? And let's pray. As I mentioned, book of examination and evaluation. What's your walk with the Lord like? Why don't you close your eyes one more time before we leave and, and have a closing uh, prayer? What's your walk with the Lord like? Are you tempted to, to, to get into a religious, old religious mindset? What are you putting your faith in? Examine your faith. You remember they were being persecuted and, 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 the, and the writer was telling them not to put their faith and trust in this world system or the things of the world that are passing. What are you putting your faith and your trust in? Is it in Jesus alone or is it something else? Well, maybe we need to ask the Lord right now to help us to our faith and our walk and our trust is in Him alone. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, help us to examine ourselves right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that, Lord, we would be walking with You, but God, and not get shaken. Come on, I don't know about you, church. I want to be a part of that kingdom that's not being shaken. Amen? Lord, even though things are being shaken all around us, Lord, I pray that we would be steady and steadfast, Lord, not on scaffolding, but the foundation of the Word of God and the truth of you, Lord Jesus, and who you are. Lord, help us that, Lord God, we would just stay steadfast in our faith, our commitment, and our walk with you, even in hard times, in persecution, in tragedy. Holy Spirit, give us supernatural grace and power to do so. Now, Lord, help us to exalt you as we go through this book and through our lives. May we, Lord God, glorify you in everything that we do, say, and think so the world can see you through us and many more will be saved from Scott to Nicaragua to all throughout the rest of this earth. Lord, God, we rejoice. We thank you. We love you. I pray you bless these as they go today in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Well, we love you. God bless you. Hey, if you need prayer for anything, my pastors and prayer team will be up here. We'll be more than glad to pray with you. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.